Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spalding, Seifard Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast from Marketplace Risk. Today, I have Uri Arad, who is co-founder and VP of product for Identic. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Elle. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you. Now, I am intrigued by your company because I watched your Marketplace Risk Masters session and um, it was called How Do You Kickstart a Circle of Trust? Use Your Competitor's Data, which was um, a very intriguing title. And I really want to hear a bit more and for our listeners as well to explain a bit more about what your very innovative company does. And I know just as a top level descriptor that you have a peer to peer network that allows users to work together to beat fraud. Can you explain how that worked and how how the idea came about? Oh, absolutely. Um, So um, maybe starting a little bit from a short story in the background. So, you know, I've uh, been in the market, in the the business of uh, risk and fraud management for over 10 years. In a large part of that period of time, I've been at PayPal. Uh, managing risk, and you know, this is a great place to learn everything and anything there is to know about fraud and risk. And one of the things that you realize uh, when working and managing risk is that in many cases, the real gap is the gap about information. It's about what you know and what you don't know. And like anything else in in, in life, uh, the more information you you have, the better decision you can have. Mm-hmm. What we've done with Identic is actually take this idea uh, and combine it with the concept of collaboration and partners working together, and through that establish the first peer-to-peer uh, risk management and fraud management network that allows companies who use our service to tell good users from uh, bad users apart. See, I always think that um, the the power of a peer-to-peer network is people working together. 
And what what you're saying here is suggests that these people are we're working together at an extraordinary level to do something that's um, you know really quite groundbreaking when it comes to to fraud. Is that right? That is correct. If you think about it, the typical way uh, when if you have a, a, a website and imagine yourself opening an account, and you can open an account with anything from a ride-sharing application to a social network to an online bank, one of the key challenges that these services all have in common is making sure that when you open an account, you are who you claim to be. And this is really at the base of fraud management. How do we know when someone opens an account that they are who they claim to be? And in some cases, that there's even such a person. And I did not just made up a whole identity out of all. Typically, the way this problem is solved is by using big central databases. And you know, we know some of them. It's companies like Equifax or credit bureaus in the US. Uh, and there are similar companies in other places in the world. And on top of that, there's a whole ecosystem of companies that are in the business of collecting and aggregating data for the purpose of helping companies answer those hard questions. Is this email real? Is this person real? Uh, does he live in that address? Does this phone number belong to that person, etc.? So it's a sort of series of of checks, I suppose, isn't it? It's almost like, you know, you have to, it, it's sort of filling, it's almost like a sort of old fashioned form filling exercise that if you complete these boxes and, and it all matches up, then you get a big tick, um, which I suppose, you know, is limited in a way, isn't it? Yeah, that, that is exactly what's going on behind the scenes. So when you fill in the form, the company takes all that data and they need to, to, to make sure that the, the data is correct. Now, in the physical world, typically this is solved by saying, you know, can I show you, can you show me your ID? Mm. And then I can look at your picture and I can look at the data that is printed on the document and if the document is legitimate, then I can verify and validate on the, all this information. In the online world, validating this information is a really hard problem. And the only way that people were able to solve this problem so far has been by building this uh, uh, big databases by, by providers. And this is where we realize part of the challenge is, because if we look at what's happening in the past few years with data breaches coming every year, more and more data breaches, all of these databases get hacked. So if we care about the privacy on one hand, but also if we're caring about having quality data, we realize that the reliance on a provider model where there's someone that sells the data is becoming really difficult because once this data gets out of your hand or gets in this big database, the chances of this database getting hacked and this data leaking are very, very high. In the industry, people would say it's just a question of when and not a question of if. And is it also the fact that you would then be just relying on the company that you had chosen for that um, and paying them for that data, whereas another company might have better data and so it, it's almost like everyone, you know, has to choose where they get the information from. And, and it, each one is, is a sort of, you know, distinct set of data that's different. Is that, is that the way that it works? Because that seems slightly limiting. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. This is absolutely correct. And there's so many challenges with that. Because first of all, you already uh, identified the challenge with fragmentation. 
the data is fragmented. Everyone has a different piece of data. And if you're a global business, the problem is even bigger because you, you, some of your customers may be from you know, Europe and some from the UK, some may be from uh, Asia Pacific or Africa or South America. And then you have to deal with so many different providers. That's one. Second, and you were very, very right. The fact that you rely on a single source means that there's a single source point of failure. If they don't have the accurate data or potentially if a fraudster found a way to get their data into that database, then you're completely blind because you only have one opinion. And these are exactly the things that we were trying to solve. We realized that there is a better way. And potentially, instead of relying on a single point of the data, we can rely on the community. And it's really similar to the reasons that people choose a, a peer-to-peer transaction or peer-to-peer network, because not only does it broaden their options, it also empowers the, the people around them as well. And it enables everyone to make better choices that aren't just run by a single company who's you know sort of monopolizing that choice and taking over everything for you and you're relying as you say on them and if there was a data breach that that would be that would be it but I was reading um in I think on your um blog or your LinkedIn about how you actually don't ever sort of have that data you don't you know nobody shares it with you as a company so so how does the process work and what does providerless technology actually mean because in my world when we talk about users and providers in a in a peer-to-peer platform especially when I'm you know dealing with it with the with the marketing and, and branding obviously the the provider is is one side of the platform so what does providers as technology actually mean yeah that, so so you, you you described it very well and typically in many solutions um you find a, a two-way relationship or a two-sided network, whether someone that provides the data and someone that is consuming the data, or someone that provides the service and someone consuming the, the service. Mm-hmm. What we have built is a solution, which is a, a, what we call a one-sided network, meaning everyone on the identic network are all companies who use the service in the same way. And what, what they're doing is, it is something very, very simple. And if you can say, you know, maybe it goes back to the same principles of trust that we had, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, and, and you can imagine, you know, in, in, you know, hundreds of years ago, if you were to meet someone new that you didn't know, and you had the question about should I trust them or not, the best way that you could trust someone if there's anyone that is willing to vouch for that person. So if there's someone you know and someone that trusts that says, oh yes, I vouch for L, then even if I haven't seen L before, I would be very happy to you know, trust her and conduct business with her, etc. And this is exactly the concept that we're taking here. We're saying, while in, in the previous example, you may be opening an account, let's say with an online bank, and that bank may not know you. In reality, every single person today in the world has a huge online footprint. And that means that there's so many companies with whom you interact almost on a daily basis. 
these companies know you very well. Uh, they have your name, they have your, your address, they may have your email address, your phone number, et cetera, et cetera. They know you very well because you've been their loyal customer for many, many years. And the idea behind the providerless uh, uh, solution is that when this online bank sees you for the first time, instead of going to a provider, paying the money in order to get information and hoping that they have accurate information, they can go to the source. They can ask other companies, similar companies to themselves, whether they already know you, okay? Whether they have a customer that they've interacted with and that that customer has, you know, good rapport with their service, which is, you know, matching all of your details, you know, based with, with the name and email and all of those data. And if there are enough companies of the network that are willing to vouch for you and say, yes, we know Elle, we trust Elle, she's been a loyal and good customer for so many years, we can get this aggregated information and we can give you the big thumbs up of saying, yes, you should trust Elle and you should give her a great user experience and a great service. Is now, that, is it a, a benefit to, to, to share that, that information? Um, I mean, I can see the benefit broadly, but for an individual company. Um, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Because the, 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 because the challenges we, we, we mentioned earlier. So the challenge with the provider solution, provider-based solution, is the fact that the data is the data, right? It is what it is. The quality is the quality that they have. Uh, uh, the, the coverage is the coverage that they have. And it, it will never grow, okay? Or it will go very, very slowly. More than that, there is a huge challenge with privacy. Because when you use those providers, uh, you basically send them the information you collected and they compare it to their own database. And by the way, at the same time, they will also record that information for their own future use. And that, that's one challenge. The second challenge is that every information that these companies ha have is second or third hand information. Mm -hmm. You don't know where it's coming from. It's a little bit like hearsay, right? So hearsay would not be admissible in the court of law. You'd need someone that says, yes, I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. And this is what the providerless uh, technology uh, uh, does because every piece of evidence you get is from another company like you that has interacted with the customer first. On top of that, from the privacy solution, and this is you know, what's unique about our technology is that we built a technology that allows you to sort of compare the information, compare all these data points without ever sharing or exposing those data points with each other. So as a company, your first benefit is that you get high quality data, you get more reliability because it's coming from multiple sources, multiple peers like you, and uh, you don't expose neither yourself or the information or any data about your customers. So you also don't have to worry about uh, data breaches or data getting out of your control. What I love about this is that it does hark back to some of the things that we used to do, as you say, a few hundred years ago. Um, and the technology empowers us to do it again and to do it even better. And when I think about peer-to-peer -peer transactions that maybe we're more familiar with, like uh, car sharing and, um, you know, maybe sharing the vintage clothing in your wardrobe or something something like that. We, you know, we're doing something that people 
always used to do. Um, you know, if you had something of value, you would look around um, to your community to see if people wanted to to borrow it or, or you know, or to barter. And if you needed something, you would look to the community around you to, you know, to borrow it or hire it. Now, when you talk about um, the idea that you ask around to, um, you know, which is an expression in itself, you know, I'll find out, I'll ask around if someone is trustworthy. You want to hear that firsthand. And I suppose the, that's what you're doing. And then the equivalent of these data companies is the hearsay, isn't it? It's the, they're the, the not so, um, you know, how reputable is that information that you're giving me? How reliable is it? Because if it is just hearsay, it's sort of, it's not quite from the horse's mouth, as, as we would say. So it's funny how you can apply what you're doing um, to you know older older fashioned things that we used to do and see how it, it makes sense and it's better because of course you would want to hear firsthand how trustworthy someone that has someone is versus actually just the, the hearsay um, which which is brilliant because you know all of these things that we, we're doing now as part of the sharing and gig and platform economy are just things that we've always done um, and that are not scary, but they're just um, different because they are powered by this amazing technology. That, that, that is so correct. I agree with you completely because, and this is why I think many of those solutions in, in many ways, A, feel so natural to us as, as consumers mm. and users, and also grow so quickly. You know, why social networks explode so quickly, why solutions like, you know, Uber and, 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 and Lyft and other ride-sharing companies Etc. They grow because I think that it speaks really to those things. Um, I would add to that even even more. And you were very right about you know the 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 one source or the hearsay versus the uh, going through the uh, you know through the horse's mouth. It, it, you know, uh, of course, an aggregator can bring bring a lot of value because it saves you trouble, right? You don't have to do the legwork. You don't have to go and collect references yourself. Uh, and this is the value of an aggregator. There is value to aggregator, but that value comes with risk. Mm -hmm. You really, really have to know who is that aggregator and how well they're doing, etc. The beauty of the technology that it takes away the cost. There's no more legwork. Uh, so now, with you know, with the same effort of you know integrating or working with an aggregator, you can join the identic network and you can get this benefit. You can get the benefit of getting the information from first party, from its source, and better than that, you actually get multiple sources. So you can look at the consensus. So you know what? It's not enough that one company would say, yes, this looks good. Actually, we're aggregating the information from the entire network, and therefore we are able to get such huge coverage because you know, maybe you're using this service and not that service, or maybe you're using uh, you live in one country versus another. The fact that everyone is helping each other uh, ensures that everyone gets very high quality data and are able to provide those services really based on these same ancient principles. And it seems fairer as well, um, which is, you know, which is which is good. We, we think of peer-to-peer -peer transactions generally around goods and services um, sometimes you know in, in terms of, of lending you know obviously what you're talking about here is is a peer-to-peer -peer network I'm fascinated by the idea that peer-to-peer -peer 
networks or peer-to-peer concepts can support peer-to-peer platforms and and peer-to-peer transactions of goods and services. And um, I've come across some other interesting types of peer-to-peer platforms or networks where you can use things like um, recruitment or customer services, but powering powered by people um, and these are really interesting models I, I don't know is it something that you feel that you're you're part of with um, what you're doing and have you seen any other interesting examples of peer-to-peer tech supporting peer-to-peer platforms yeah I, I think that's a great a great question and um, you, you could you know depending in really you know what how will, how do we define peer to peer? But I would say probably uh, one of the obvious example would be the whole open source community. Um, when I'm thinking about what what open source is, it's really about people coming together to help each other build something that typically only large companies could 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 have built. Um, and, and in, in the past, again, we, we, you know, we were used to believe that, you know, if you want to have a, a, a quality product, a quality product can only come from a big yes, uh, company. Yeah, which is frustrating, isn't it? And it's funny how people, you would put so much faith in a, in a big company to do something because why? Maybe I, I think it's, it's probably sort of, I don't know, it's a sort of, since the Industrial Revolution, people have sort of believed that it, if it's done by a big company, it's better and it's, um, you know, it's kind of, if it, it's the only way to get quality. But I, f- I feel there's almost like another revolution taking place and people are realising that um, that actually the things they want can be around them and powered by people, not just big corpora- corporations who actually at the top of their setup could, you know, not be the the company that you would want them to be necessarily absolutely and i think that people and everyone is rediscovering the power of community mm-hmm. uh the power of you know people helping each other and 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 you know even even now you know we're now recording at the midst of the covid19 um pandemic where so many people are working from home uh, sheltering at home uh, under quarantine etc and i think that people are rediscovering the importance of community, even in their day to day, you know, relying on your neighbors, relying on your friends, relying on your family, um, in order to get uh, things things done. And what we have discovered, and this was really exciting and heartwarming about, you know, the whole, I can say, risk management and fraud fighting community, is that there's a real vibrant community. Um, everyone in this industry. Uh, which you know, I'm proud and happy to be part of, is realizing that there is a common enemy. That you know, what everyone is trying to do is to get trust, to get safety, to get great user experience, and to do that without inflicting friction on the on the consumer. And the only way to do that is by sharing, sharing knowledge, sharing techniques, sharing you know what they've been hit with, etc. What we're allowing the community to do, and again, the community has been doing it so for so many, many years, uh, is taking the level of collaboration to the next level. If up until now, collaboration was limited to talking about tools and techniques, maybe sharing information about 
fraud rings uh, and, and you know how you've been hit with, with your peers. Uh, now we're allowing the community to get the level of, of collaboration to the next level. And with that, we're believing taking our ability to manage uh, risk and fight fraud to a completely uh, different le level. And, and I love this this sense of collaboration. It's something that I see, you know, everywhere I look within the platform economy, within, you know, ac across this space, people are so much more willing and predisposed to, to share what they've learned. And I see it with a lot of the communities that I'm part of, you know, online, where people are willing to just support other startups in this space but what do you think that means um for competition especially maybe with the clients that you deal with how do, do people have a different attitude towards that now that they're you know willing to be part of a of a community um or do you think that 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 is a change for the good or do you think that um you know it's it's just as a sort of a, a byproduct of of this kind of open source way of working. So I think everyone realized that there's a lot of good coming out of competition. You know, competition is what makes us want to try harder and to improve the products, uh, and it's at the core of a lot of what we're seeing. Whether it's in you know industry and technology, but also in science and you know scientists or even now, you know, researchers, you know, everyone wants to be the first to discover something or find something, etc. Competition is great, but it's even better when it's combined with collaboration, where people know where they should compete and where they should collaborate. And this is part of what we're seeing uh, in our industry. Uh, we talk to companies and the companies understand that for them to do better, at serving their, their customers, at fighting fraud, etc., the best people for them to collaborate with would be the other players in their own market because they know that they share customers. You know, whether you think about, uh, you know, a, a video streaming application or a games website or, or a bank or a food delivery, you know, as consumers, we want to use all of those services. We want to use the best possible service. And those companies quickly realize that while they should compete with each other on one side, uh, probably on, you know, on offering, on the level of service, on how smooth their application is, on prices, etc., they should also collaborate on many, many other things, on the things which are common shared problems. And this is exactly the spirit that we're finding. You talked earlier about the 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 COVID-19 crisis and I've certainly read and indeed written about how the renewed interest in community has been fast-tracked in a way by the by the pandemic and um, I would certainly agree with you that it's it's a really positive you know outcome from more people having to work from home and and um and quarantine what how do you see things progressing over over the next six months a year post crisis post pandemic what do you think the future holds in terms of what what you're doing and for fraud prevention i mean how 
how will um, how will we come out the other side of this? Will it be change for the good? What will the new normal look like? I know that phrase is overused at the moment, but I think there is going to be a new normal. Yeah, this is this is a great question, and you know we're we're watching very closely what's happening today um, in the world of fraud management. And one thing, just you know, maybe a small side note. Basically, in the world of fraud uh, and risk management, the typical approach is always to say, "Let me look for the bad people." Um, and the way you identify big people is by something that looks like an anomaly, something that looks strange or not behaving like the way we expect. And a lot of the advancements in machine learning and AI in the past few years have been focused at that and being able to find very small signals and combining a lot of signals in order to say, hey, there's something fishy going on here. Maybe you should not approve this transaction. Maybe you should look at it closer, etc." And this has been what's been driving a lot of the progress in the past few years. What the pandemic has done with everyone working from home, uh, all of a sudden, everyone wants to buy, you know, different stuff, you know, uh, sales of, 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 you know, online services have rocketed, food delivery went up, restaurants went down. Uh, we all want to buy face masks and, and, and hand sanitizers. Basically, overnight, the behavior of almost every single consumer in the world has changed. Everyone now looks like an anomaly. And the result of that is that most of the typical uh, um, you know, machine learning-based solutions are really struggling at this uh, point in time. And we believe that uh, a lot of that would remain for the next 6, 12 months because things are changing and they're changing in a very abrupt way. On top of that, the fraudsters have not let go. So even while some people have reduced their spending and maybe are more conscious about what they're buying, the fraudsters are still hitting a lot of companies very hard. The end result, unfortunately, is that companies... Uh, find it hard to tell the good from the bad. That means that a lot of good people may be uh, getting declined or getting bad user experience, and at the same time, the companies are also suffering from high levels of loss. And what we're offering, and this is really part of the game changer, and you know what, we did not plan for that, but looking at you know the, what differentiates the providerless solution from the other solution is that we're really focusing about identifying the good people. And the beauty is that if I can trust and if I can find someone that can vouch and can say, yes, this is L and you should trust her, I should not care so much whether you buy uh, you know, a new phone or a face mask, mm-hmm. whether you're you know, ordering movie tickets or ordering delivery in. Mm-hmm. Once I establish the trust, I can open the gate to you. I can give you a beautiful experience uh, regardless of what you're doing. So we're believing that you know over the next six to 12 months, uh, companies will realize that they have to think about the problem differently. Uh, you know our network is already growing and because it's a network, 
it means that with every new member that joins the network, everyone gets more benefit because there's more reliability, more information, and more ability to get uh, accuracy through consensus. So the beauty, and this is the beauty of every peer-to-peer -peer network, is that as the network grows, everyone gets more value. Yeah. That's it, is the beauty of it, isn't it? Uri, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fascinating. I feel like I could carry on talking to you for ages, but um, we are at time now. So thank you for um, coming on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Elle. The pleasure is all mine. And uh, thank you for hosting me. Thank you for tuning into the Master's Programme Platform Podcast. Check out the master's program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.